This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Hello, Hearts of Oak, and welcome to another interview coming up in a moment with Dr. Sebastian Gorka. You will, of course, know him from his media time, but also his time in the White House. But we start this conversation looking at his background. He was born in the UK, grew up in London, also lived in Budapest for 16 years. Hungarian is his first language. And he brings a unique perspective, I think, to the US, understanding UK and US culture and politics more than most others. But then we, of course, get on to President Trump and his latest indictment, number three, he will need a trophy cabinet soon to collect these. And we discuss what exactly is happening. We discuss election integrity. We discuss David Wise being the special counsel uh, on the Hunter Biden case. And then we end up with something completely different, looking at Islam or Islamism or Jihad. Uh, The first book I read of Sebastian was Defeating Jihad, The Winnable War. A lot to pack in in 45 minutes. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, it is wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for inviting me today. Not all. And obviously, at Seb Gorka on Twitter, Getter, Substack is there, Sebastian Gorka, America First, what uh, every day, Monday to Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, there's a lot. And of course, your latest book, The War for America's Soul, is out and available. Um. Lots to discuss, but if I can mention your your website on your merchandise, I, I loved it. Uh, SebastianGorkaStore.com. First of all, your FBI, Fascist Bureau of Intimidation, but then your LGBTQ, which I thought was lovely. You looked well in LGBTQ. Let's get Biden to quit. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's sad. The FBI T-shirt, Fascist Bureau of Intimidation, is now our second uh, hottest selling item on, on the website, sebgorkastore.com. And um, even before that, I designed a, a mug with a photograph of the Gestapo and an FBI agent in his raid jacket with the big letters FBI. And this was six months ago, or maybe maybe it was after the raid on, on President Trump's home. And I said... You know, uh, 80 years from Germany to the United States, the FBI, Biden's Gestapo. And and my producer, who's a pretty forward-leaning guy, pretty hardcore conservative, he said, ah, that's, that's a little bit too much, Seb. Yeah, ah, that's a little bit. That is like the number one item. Uh, because sadly, and this, this kind of, I don't want to go into too much detail here, but before I joined the White House, I did a lot of work with the FBI. I trained them. I trained literally thousands of agents and intelligence analysts on on the ideology of jihad. That was my job with my wife. We had the only external contract providing that kind of training to the Bureau. And, And I was proud to do that. Now, after what the FBI has become, uh, raiding the homes of pro-life ministers, raiding President Trump's home on a trumped-up garbage documents charge, if the FBI knocked on my door right now, Peter, I'd tell them, go talk to my lawyers, sod mm-hmm. off. I mean, th- this is this is what has happened to America under the radical leftist neo-Marxist cabal that is today's Democrat Party. 
It's bonkers. And I want to end with that touch on the Islam on the jihad, because defeating yeah. jihad was uh, the first time I came across a book by you. And I remember um, it is this book here, uh, Defeating Jihad, fantastic book. But we'll, we will end off on that. But if I can maybe start with, I mean, you don't, you don't need an introduction, even for a UK audience. Um, it's your, but you're not the typical U.S. media or political personality. Your military, national security, and political background is British and European. Do you want to touch on that because that sets you apart from any others? Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, I've had a pretty uh, crazy whirlwind of, of a uh, career. My parents escaped communist Hungary during the revolution '56. My father created a secret Catholic. Uh, students' organization in college to uh, undermine the communist takeover. He was betrayed by Kim Philby, one of the Cambridge apostles, uh, one of the worst traitors of the Cold War. He was arrested at the age of 20, tortured and given a life sentence in a political prison. After six years, he was liberated literally by the revolutionaries who captured a Soviet tank in, in 56. And with the 17-year-old daughter of a fellow prisoner, he escaped to the West over a minefield um, they made it to the UK. A few years later, they were married, and and you know that those are my parents. I grew up in the UK, speaking Hungarian. My first language was Hungarian. I learned English in in, in preschool and in kindergarten. Hungarian is a difficult language. Uh, it is, yeah. According to the State <laughs> Department, it is the hardest non-pictographic language. So if you if you leave out you know Chinese and Korean, it's the hardest non-pictographic because it's not related to anything. You can learn the Romance languages, the Indo-European languages. It, it's irrelevant. It, it is this kind of Martian language in the middle of of uh, Europe. And I think it wires your brain differently. So um, it, it's uh, it's good for, for cognitive capacity if you can speak that language in other ones. And then in, in college, so I went to London University, and in college, a buddy of ours used to disappear every two weeks and wouldn't come out drinking with us. And, and one Friday, I said to him, dude, you're coming out with us this weekend. And he said, no, I can't. Um, where are you going? And he refused to tell me. And I said, well, I'm not going to let you go unless you tell me where you're going. And he said, I can't tell you, but why don't you come with me? And I was this long-haired philosophy and theology student. I had hair down to my chin and kind of like on a bet, on a dare, I said, oh, okay. So I followed my buddy to this unmarked building in, in the downtown London, this red brick building. And it turned out to be the headquarters of the uh, military intelligence reserve. So the intelligence corps TA element in, in London. And it was selection weekend. And I was given a pair of overalls with about 30 other people. And I'd driven in a lorry to the middle of nowhere. And I did selection for this weird, iconoclastic bunch of eccentrics in the intelligence corps. And I loved it. I mean, linguists, interrogators, photographic interpreters. So I joined the Territorial Army Intelligence Corps in college, loved it. Then the, the whole uh, communist system collapses. And because I spoke Hungarian, French, German, and English, and it served in a British military unit, um, that parlayed itself into a job working for the first conservative freely elected government in Hungary. So I ended up working as an assistant to the Deputy Minister of Defense helping the formal Warsaw Pact Hungary get into NATO. Um, so that was milestone number two. And then just to cut it short, 9-11 hits. I had a bit of background in counterterrorism, and I'm invited to teach on a 
Pentagon-funded counterterrorism training course out of Germany. There's this beautiful base the Americans never gave back to the Germans after World War II. It's called Garmisch-Partenkirchen in the Marshall Center. And for four years, I would commute between Budapest and Bavaria, and I teach counterterrorism to a group of international officers. And eventually that um, translated to me and my American wife and our kids moving to America. I became a U.S. citizen, a professor of irregular warfare at National Defense University, at the Marine Corps University. And uh, the last kind of milestone is the book you, you held up, the, the book Defeating Jihad, um, got onto people's radar screens and helped me uh, to get a job in the White House working for President Trump. So I was deputy assistant to the president for strategy based upon all the work I'd done in counterterrorism. And now I have a you know, national radio show and uh, God's been very good to me, Peter. Funny, from Ealing to Budapest to yes. Tennessee, it's quite a journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can I, because in the US, I think probably from my point of view, there's only maybe Steve Hilton and Raheem Kassam who have an understanding of what happens over in Europe, both in being heavily involved in politics in the UK. Um, so you're kind of a fish out of water there uh, and see things quite differently. Um, I mean, the whole election integrity stuff, um, I know watching the votes coming in in London many times, and it is a paper ballot we would never consider an electronic voting machine. So you see things quite differently that way. Well, I, I do. And I'm kind of galled by the fact that, look, there's there's only one flag on the moon and it's America's flag. And it's it's there's six of them. So we, we managed out of all the nations on God's green earth to send men to the moon half a dozen times. And, and we can't, we can't have modern elections run in ways that uh, are fitting for a superpower. I mean, think about it. We, we don't have voter ID. In, in many states of the union, you don't have to prove who you are when you go and vote. You say who you are, they look up your name and your address, and if you can confirm the address in the big record in front of the poll worker, you're given a ballot and you vote, which is asinine. Democrats say showing an ID at the polling station is voter suppression of minorities, which of course is the most bigoted thing you can say because you're saying black people and brown people are too stupid to get a driver's license is really what the Democrats are saying. And not only that, but thanks to COVID and many other things, we don't have an election day. Uh, here in Virginia, I live just outside Washington, D.C., in Virginia, which is now run by a conservative uh, governor. But even he uh, has failed to change the fact that in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, this probably shock your listeners. And, and if you don't believe anything I say, please do look it up. We have 45 days of voting. We vote for a month and a half before the election, which is just asinine. I mean, Mexico, which is in, in the midst of a drug-fueled insurgency, has voter ID. India, with a billion people, has voter ID. And, and the fact that we can't count our votes on election day, and it's one day, and we don't have voter ID, it, it tells you why things like 2020 can happen. Um. Okay, let's talk about President Trump. Uh, we've just seen another indictment. 
I'm kind of thinking he's going to have to have a trophy cabinet of all these indictments because they're building up. What on earth is going on? <laughs> well, yeah, he um, he posted on his social media site, True Social, last week after the uh, the third indictment here in Washington D.C. He, uh, you know, tongue in cheek, he said. Well, one more indictment, and I've got this election sewn up. Um, it's, it's insane. I mean, utterly insane. And he's right. I mean, every time you know they drop another, you know, facetious, false indictment, his popularity actually increases. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, President Trump is a force of nature. In 2016, he got 64 million votes. Uh, four years later, after being called a racist, a misogynist, an Islamophobe, a Nazi, and a white supremacist for four years by the mainstream media, he got 10 million <laughs> more votes, which is unheard of. He got 74 million votes, the most of any incumbent president in history, despite the fact that the Democrats mailed out 81 million ballots to be not voted on, on election day, but to be filled in by somebody somewhere and then posted back or dropped into collective ballot har harvesting boxes. So despite all of the shenanigans, he gets more votes than any incumbent president. Now they don't have COVID to have that, you know, cover of mailing out ballots. And they're very worried that the uniparty, and look, I said this when I was in the White House, I said it when I left the White House, Donald Trump won despite the Republican Party and not thanks to the Republican Party. He is a, a, a deadly threat to the vested interests of the Uniparty, as, as Steve Bannon calls it. Why? Because he's not owned by any of their special interests. He's not owned by the Chamber of Commerce that owns the GOP. He's not owned by uh, Big Oil or Big Pharma. He's not owned by the unions like the Democrats are. He, he is a, a, a clear and present danger to the quote-unquote political elite that just wants to control the lives of 330 million people, irrespective of what those people want. So, you know, the Democrats have to put him in prison. He's now, depending on which poll you look at, Peter, he's 20 to 40, 40 points ahead of his nearest rival, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. I mean, he, he is the de facto Republican nominee. And in the latest polling, he's beating Biden as well. So they're just, they're just desperate. They are throwing everything at him. This, this latest indictment, I, I know your, your listeners probably won't watch it or, or read it. This latest indictment is so Kafka-esque. It's so KGB tactics. They have indicted... Mayor Giuliani, one of the greatest Americans who ever lived, who put five mafia dons in prison when he was a prosecutor in New York prior to becoming the mayor of New York, they have indicted him for conspiracy because he retweeted a tweet saying, please call your state representatives and senators to request a special session so we can verify the results of the election. That tweet is deemed to be a felony by this woman, this prosecutor in Fulton County, who, by the way, a little bit of, of you know, a, a delicious um, tidbit, is the daughter of a former Black Panther extremist. I mean, you, you cannot make this stuff up. 
They have to stop him because he's not controlled by them. And I mean, what happened to Rudy was intriguing, living through 9-11, watching America's mayor as he became, and absolutely loved. And yet, because of his support for Trump, the establishment just turns on him. And I mean, apart from Trump, that he is the biggest example of the lunacy of the establishment. Yeah, I mean, look, look at, you know, go back and just Google 9-11 and Rudy Giuliani, and you'll see the cover of Newsweek, the cover of Time. He's standing there at ground zero on the pile of rubble. He's getting the New Yorkers back on their feet after 3,000, you know, Americans and, and others were murdered by jihadi terrorists. Mm-hmm. And, and now, now he's some kind of treat traitor who should be you know given 200 years in prison but look it's not it's not about rudy i mean it happens to everybody it happens to me or anybody else who works for the president or supports the president but look at what happened to him remember donald trump five years ago no no let's go six years ago let's go 10 years ago donald trump was loved by everybody yeah. i mean rap rap singers mm-hmm. rapped about being the donald you know, he would have lauded cameo appearances in you know, Home Alone 2, the movie. He had, for 14 years, the most popular reality TV show in America. The Apprentice was the most popular reality TV show in America. He was, everybody wanted to be the Donald, everybody. The second he comes down the escalator, the second he says, I'm a conservative and I want to be your president, He's the devil incarnate. This tells you what you're dealing with. This, this is, this is who the left have become. This, this isn't your grandfather or even your father's Democrat Party. You know, national, strong national security, pro-life Catholics. Um, you know, the likes of JFK or Scoop Jackson. They would not be allowed into today's Democrat Party. Today's left is open borders. If you're white, you're an oppressor. Uh, America is bad. Th- this is what we're dealing with. So I- I've I've long said on my radio show: forget political labels. Forget you know little R or little D. It's not conservative or liberal. It's not Republican or Democrat. The dividing line today in America and and for much of our civilization is whether you love the country or not. If you love America, then then you're in one tribe. If you hate America, then you're going to vote Democrat. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, think about Obama and it all starts with Obama. Obama said what during the election campaign? He said, I am going to fundamentally change this nation. Now, I don't know if you're married, Peter, but but imagine if you said to your wife, I'm going to fundamentally change you, right? I don't think your wife would be too happy. You don't fundamentally change anything you love. You fundamentally change things you don't like or you hate. This is, this is the perverse situation our, our civilization is in. We are being lorded over by people who hate the countries they come from and the civilizations they live in. I mean, translate it into another sector. Imagine you're a businessman and you utterly detest Coca-Cola. Why would you want to become the CEO of Coca-Cola, right? I mean, it, it, I don't know how these – it's perverse. Why, why would you wish to be in charge of that which you detest unless, of course, you want to destroy it? Well, it's 
we're seeing that self-hatred across Europe all on the left, where the left has abandoned its working class roots and become part of this woke agenda. But then the whole MAGA is is a, a pushback on that and is something different. It's not just the normal Republicans wanting states to be red. It's actually winning back the country. And as someone in the UK, it's fascinating watching the rise of the MAGA movement that puts yeah. your own country first, which should be the norm. Yeah, I mean, think about it. You, you are lambasted. People are literally cancelled uh, if they're public figures and they put on a red hat with the letters M-A-G-A. And what does that hat say? Uh, is, it a, is it a swastika? Uh, is it the hammer and sickle, which would be fine, of course, for the left? No, it, it means make America great again. So you must be excoriated. You must be completely isolated and, 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 and shunned from polite society if you want to make your country great again. I, I mean, it's truly beggar's belief. And, and again, it's not politics. I, I don't read autobiographies. I don't have the patience for autobiographies. But there's two. If you want to understand what's happened to America, there's two that um, I can't recommend more. And they're really life-changing, especially Andrew Breitbart's uh, righteous indignation. His book on how, you know, as a drunk, you know, uh, mindless student at Tulane University, he 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 suddenly became a conservative because he saw what they were doing to a, a black judge because he dared to be uh, a nominee to the Supreme Court and a conservative. This is you know the Clarence Thomas hearings and chapter six of of his book Righteous Indignation. If you want to understand what the left has become. He he paints it all from Antonio Gramsci in an Italian prison cell all the way through the Frankfurt School to Alinsky to Clinton to Obama. It is a m masterpiece. So his book, you know, Read Righteous Indignation. If you want to know what happened to conservative politics and to America, uh, I was in the White House and it was Thanksgiving weekend. And my boss, Steve Bannon, said, hey, you've got to read this book by J.D. Vance called Hillbilly Elegy. And I'm like, not interested. My wife had a copy of it, and it was Thanksgiving weekend, went away for the long weekend, and I read the whole book that weekend. And the interesting about JD is he's from a hillbilly family. He's from a real country, you know, working class family. And he was no Trump supporter. When he wrote this, he was not a fan of Trump. Now he's a very Trumpian senator. Uh, in, in D.C., he's one of only two senators out of 100 that I'll let on my show because he's a citizen politician, not a career politician. And in his book, which you can read in two days, three days, he just chronicles what happened to the working class in America through the eyes of his family. So how the people who literally built America who traveled from Tennessee, from Kentucky to Ohio, became the factory workers, facilitated this incredible blossoming of prosperity and freedom after World War II, how basically the Republican Party took a massive dump on them uh, 50 years ago and said, uh, we can make stuff cheaper in China. We can make stuff cheaper in Mexico. Uh, we don't need factories in America. And consciously, destroyed these families and said, yeah, fentanyl, who cares about fentanyl? Who cares about working class overdoses? You know, we, we need to get the, the next uh, shareholder meeting to, you know, demonstrate uh, double digit growth for, for our companies. 
So this, this, this is why MAGA, this is why Brexit, this is why Maloney, this is, this is why Modi, because it's not party politics. It's people saying, you know what? My nation matters and the people who built that nation matter. And we don't want to have career politicians who don't give a crap about the will of the people who say, I will represent you, become elected, and then do the polar opposite of, of what they were elected to do. So, you know, all of the, it's not about President Trump. It's about, it's about a global phenomena of the recrudescence of national sovereignty. And it's so fascinating that, you know, the word populism is a dirty word, which is, you have to stop for a second. Populism? You, you mean policies that are popular with the majority of the people, that's bad. If that's bad, you're either a communist or a fascist. And, and by the way, let's be clear, uh, fascism is a left-wing policy, okay? Uh, you know, if, if you look at who Mussolini was, who invented fascism, it wasn't Hitler. The fasces is an ancient Roman symbol. Uh, if you look at the fact that he was an ardent communist before he invented fascism in the 1920s, you have to understand what these people are, whether they're AOC, whether they're Bernie Sanders, or whether they're Obama, whether they're you know Klaus Schwab. These are fascists. Yeah, not completely. We're seeing actually exciting the rise in populism uh, with many populist parties doing extremely well in Europe until the poll, until the election, often in Spain, Vox were going to have a, a, a majority with the party on the right, and suddenly they don't get that. Now the AFD, they're discussing banning the AFD because yeah. they're polling second in Germany. It's kind of the same tactics that we're seeing in America. It's more brazen, uh, but we're seeing those same tactics to silence populism in Europe as well. Yeah, there's... This isn't well understood. So how, how we got here and what happened in 15 and 16, I, I, tr I strongly recommend to your viewers, um, there's a genius level guy who's been on my show several times. He was the head of cyber for the State Department in the Trump administration. His name is Mike Benz, B-E-N-Z, and you should get him on, on, on your show. Um, happy to connect you. And, and Mike Benz kind of, he made the light bulb go off for me because he explains, and he has a, he has a website called uh, the Foundation for Freedom Online, where he has all the receipts, all the documents, all the inside video conferences from, you know, the global elitists admitting what they're doing. And Mike Benz, um, his huge contribution is the following. The foreign policy elite, which is totally uniparty, right? I mean, let's be clear. The, the Republicans and the Democrats, uh, when it comes to being a you know, global police and blah, 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 you know, th there's been a unanimity on that since the 1990s. And the foreign policy elite, quote unquote, built a complete superstructure to target and undermine populism abroad. Whether it's Orban in, uh, in Hungary whether it's Brexit with Obama coming and telling the, the, the British, you better not vote for independence because you'll be at the back of the queue, giggle, giggle, right? Um, so so for, for 30 years, they've created a system to undermine populist movements in other countries saying, oh, that's not good for us. So let's have a system where we're funding these NGOs, undermining conservatives because they're scary and fascist. 
And then what happened after 30 years of building this infrastructure to target the likes of Orban or Brexiteers, when Trump comes along, what do they do? It's, it's like the, the, the gun turrets of the ship turn from facing outwards to facing inwards. And the quote-unquote disinformation tools, the censorship tools, were targeted against populists at home. Again, do not take my word for it. Go and look at the unclassified documentation of how the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security were meeting with Twitter executives in Palo Alto on a weekly basis to have individual accounts deleted. How the story of Hunter Biden's laptop, which is, you know, all of the crimes of the Biden family, was suppressed by Palo Alto. And when that story broke, when the Hunter Biden laptop story broke four weeks before the election in 2020, you know, I tried to retweet it on my account. You couldn't, if you cut and paste the link onto your Twitter and you tried to press post, it would refuse to post. Now that, you know, that's okay, I guess, if you're trying to undermine an election in Cuba, but if you're doing it at home in front of your own citizens, that's when the light bulb goes off and you realize, yeah, um, these are fascists using fascist tools to control information. To what end? Not to protect us from some boogeyman, but to maintain their grasp on power. Well, let me ask you on that issue, because uh, I think a few days ago, your program was Sweetheart Deal, David Wise, is now special counsel. Uh, and I was trying to scratch my head, trying to understand this, because it seemed to be good. But then why is this happening now? For what reason? What is Biden playing at in putting this in play now? Um, and then it was really David Wise was good, then not. So uh, what is happening on that? But we've had Miranda Devine, Gard Siegler, we, we've discussed the stuff on Hunter but suddenly this appears out of nowhere. Well, it's very easy to, to explain why, because they have to protect the Bidens for the next 15 months. I, I mean, remember, D David Weiss is the Wilmington, Delaware U.S. attorney who investigated Hunter Biden for four years, waited until last month to give him a sweetheart deal with universal immunity that he didn't disclose to the judge, and the judge exploded in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, to give him a, a, a universal immunity deal on the felonious handgun purchase, the non-payment of taxes. He waited for all the other crimes to expire past their five-year uh, statute of limitations. So he he's the guy who's protected the Bidens for five years. And now, because of the pressure on the Bidens, his boss at the Department of Justice, the Attorney General, makes him, quote-unquote, the special counsel to investigate Hunter Biden even further. Why? Well, very simply, if he's still under investigation, you can't ask questions about him in Congress. The, the, that's that's the, the the buried lead. If if an individual is under quote unquote active investigation, when the attorney general is next testifying in front of Congress, and the chairman of the judiciary committee says we want to talk about the uh, twenty million dollars that was sent to Hunter Biden from China and then split up amongst the family, including Joe. Uh, the attorney general says, "Excuse me, Mr. Chairman, uh, this is an ongoing case. I cannot comment." 
So it's just blatant political top cover from an existing biased individual. And by the way, it's also fascinating. If you read the statute, the, the statute in black and white says a special counsel is appointed when there is conflict of interest, when, when the reigning regime, because of their you know, Im implied connections, cannot fairly investigate a case. You hire somebody from outside of government. You find a lawyer, an attorney, a judge who's not part of the federal government to be the ombudsman, to be the fair investigator. You can't, you can't, you can't hire your flunky deputy from Wilmington. So the, the whole thing is in contravention of statute itself. But why? Because they have to protect Biden for the next 15 months. Um, on to, at CPAC, I heard many of the candidates speak, um, except, um, except DeSantis. DeSantis. And I heard him speak in Florida a month before at CNP. Um, and as much as I love what DeSantis has done in Florida, but my thinking is, if Trump is in the ring, you don't get in the ring. You, you can't win. And like some of the other candidates, they're maybe looking for a position in the White House. DeSantis thinks he can beat Trump. Yeah. Or, um, I mean, explain that, because uh, Trump has an unassailable lead. Why would you be crazy enough to step into the ring and try and beat him? Well, look, ego. I mean, why are people like that fat embarrassment Chris Christie or, you know, losers like Asia Hutchinson that nobody's heard of? Why are they running? Or Mike Pence. Mike Pence's political career after January 6th is dead. I mean, he's forever dead. The guy who said 48 hours. I played the video on my show multiple times last week. The guy who says two days before January 6th, yes. There were serious problems with the election, and we're going to find out, and I'm going to do my duty as president of the Senate. And then he caves, the yellow belly completely collapses. That guy, nobody's anybody who supported President Trump, or 74 million of them, none of them are going to vote for, for him who, who ran and, and, and hid. So why the heck is he running? So, you know, there, there, there's a saying in Hungary that, you know, these are the people who if they, they, if they jumped off their ego onto their IQ, they, they'd be committing suicide. So you know, a lot of these people, it's just totally out of touch ego. Um, for Vivek, who's been very deferential to President Trump, but has said, look, there are people who will vote for me who won't vote for Trump, which is fine. You can say that. But he's the guy who went to Miami the day of the president's arraignment, said, if I'm elected, I'm going to pardon President Trump. And he's sitting there with a, you know, a truth social hat on, President Trump's you know, media uh, app. This guy is playing it very smart. I, I told, I told, I had him on my show multiple times. I said, Vivek, you're not going to win, but I'd love to see you as you know the Jared Kushner of a second Trump term. You're an incredibly successful, uh, you know, private business entrepreneur. You should be the innovation guy in the next Trump cabinet. So you know, I, I, he's playing a very canny game. When it when it comes to DeSantis. I, I said on my radio show maybe two years ago, or at least a year and a half ago, if he's smart, he, he, he comes in as the vice president. He supports President Trump. He runs with him. And then in 2028, he just slides into the top slot. If he knows what he's doing, that's what he does. And he has just 
It, it's like, you know, during the Vietnam War, it's like those peace protesters that poured gasoline on themselves, poured petrol on themselves, and then, you know, self-immolated. This campaign has self-immolated for a couple of very clear reasons. Number one, and even off the record, his fans will tell you this, he's a charismatic black hole. I mean, he has no charisma. I think he's on the scale. I think he's a little bit on the scale, and he, he doesn't have, he has a little bit of that autistic incapacity to, to socialize. That's why his wife is essential. His wife is this beautiful, charming, erudite, you know, woman. She kind of makes up for his complete lack of charm. So number one, you've got to charm voters. Number two, uh, his, his, I call it his honor deficit. I mean, what he said on the Monday after the brag, the New York indictments were leaked against President Trump was appalling. I mean, just utterly appalling. He made two quips about, I don't know about hush money for porn stars, giggle, giggle, right, as the governor of Florida. And then he says, I'm not going to get involved because I've got business in Florida. Hey, dickhead, mm -hmm. President Trump lives in Florida. Look okay. at the map. Mar-a-Lago is in Florida. He is a citizen of the state over which you preside, and you're not going to get involved. And lastly, what if you know his backstory, the most galling of all, he's a former JAG. He's a former member of the Judge Advocate Corps, which means what? He's a former military prosecutor. Of all people, you know, the, the probity of the judiciary should be importance to him. And he says, I'm not going to get involved. When a prosecutor in Manhattan deletes the statute of limitations, expunges it so he can charge President Trump with something that happened years ago that didn't happen, and you don't have an opinion? I mean, utter, utter honesty and integrity deficit. And you know the dumbest thing of all? All he needed to say, oh, just one sentence, this is an outrage and it should outrage all conservatives and I will not stand for it as governor of the Florida of, of the state in which President Trump lives. One sentence and he would have looked like a leader. And, and then one additional thing, I, I'm not sure percentage wise, but for a lot of people who care about foreign policy, his utter U-turn on Ukraine was a disaster. You know, when, when he says on, you know, I think it was Tucker's show, um, we don't we uh, we don't care about this. It's not relevant. He gets a lot of crap, and then seventy two hours later, he says, "Oh yes, Ukraine is important, dude." This is the only thing you had to prove something on. Okay, yeah. you've been running Florida. You've got a little bit of domestic credentials. The one thing you have to convince people of is your foreign affairs, national security credentials, and you do a one eighty on your in on war in Europe. Not a good look. Not a good look. What are your thoughts on how we've seen three indictments? Uh, as I said, the more they do, uh, the more Trump support goes up. And uh, I guess every concern, every MAGA wants that, uh, wants that mugshot of Trump being, because it's what they're trying is not working. His support is going up, and they thought they could. Um, I guess, embarrass conservative voters to make them think he was too toxic. It's not working, and yet they keep trying. Do they keep on that tactic? Do they try something else? Um, because at the moment, it's not working. Well, look, you're, you're, trying, you're trying to get me to um, channel lunatics. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, what, what they're doing isn't rational. 
what they're doing is when you believe, I mean, let's just say one example. This individual has been labeled by the left, by Democrats, and by the mainstream media, the mainstream media, as a Nazi and a white supremacist, as an anti-Semite. This is the man who, after 23 years of broken promises, from Clinton to Bush to Obama, 23 years of presidents saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to move the embassy. Broken promises for 23 years. President Trump comes in and says, yeah, we're going to move the embassy, and we're going to recognize Jerusalem. That guy whose daughter converted to Judaism, whose grandchildren are Jewish. He's the anti-Semite? I mean, these, it is a cult. I mean, TDS used to be a joke. Trump derangement syndrome, we threw that around as a joke. It's not a joke. It's a clinical condition. When you accuse a man of being a dictator who did nothing dictatorial, in fact, had the most open administration ever, was giving impromptu press conferences for 40 minutes as he's getting on Marine One, the helicopter. That guy's a dictator, but the people you voted for are literally sending teams of armed FBI agents to bust down the door of a pro-life preacher in Philadelphia in front of his seven screaming kids. But that administration, they're the good guys. So I, I don't, I, I can't, look, my job, my whole life has been strategy. That's the thing I do. That was my title in the White House. That's based upon reality, empirical evidence, on, and logic. I, I can't tell you what their strategy is because it's based upon rank hatred, vituperation, and, and just irrationality. I mean, think about this. Every indictment, every indictment has made him more popular and raised him more money. I, I had Lord Black on, on my show yesterday, Lord, Lord, Lord Conrad Black, and he said he made this point that kind of like, boom, you know, kind of obvious, but yeah, nothing they've done. Nothing they've done has hurt him. Zero. So why are they doing it? Because they're insane. And, and because they think that if they can actually put him in prison, they can get Biden reelected. And, and the joy of it all, and this is what I, I say with some you know frequency on my show, is the other side, they're evil bastards. I mean, really, if you are okay with having, having a 14-year-old girl, healthy girl's breasts removed, in the name of transgenderism, or you know, chemically uh, castrating a twelve-year-old boy because he thinks he's a girl. If you're okay with that, you're actually demonic. I mean, you are pure evil in league with the dark one. So, no doubt, evil, cunning, evil bastards. But they're also stupid. I mean, th this is this is the nice thing about. It's also dangerous because stupid people can be dangerous. But they're really dumb. They they don't have a Newt Gingrich. They don't have a Victor Davis Hanson on their side. Thank the good Lord, all right? I mean, they're really dumb because they haven't even read the Constitution, Peter. Yeah. The Constitution of the United States is pretty clear about who can be president. You have to be in your 30s. You have to be 35 or older. You have to be a natural-born citizen, born to Americans. You don't have to be born in America. That's not correct. You have to be born to American citizens. And you have to be a permanent resident in America for at least the last 14 years before the election. That's it. You can be a felon. You, you, you can have been charged and convicted of, you know, crimes that, you know, would lead to 400 years in prison. It doesn't matter. You can still be the president. That's how stupid they are. I just want to finish off on the book I mentioned, obviously, your latest book, The War for America. So I think that was 2019. And that is available. But I said at the beginning, defeating jihad, the winnable war. Um, 
just to finish, just on a completely different subject, yeah. the issue of, um, and for years I've studied Islam for 10, 12, 13 years, and it's that cultural clash between the freedoms that Islam has and the freedoms the West have, and then jihad, Islamism coming out of, of that. And it's not a topic that seems to be on the table for discussion a lot. Um, and I was intrigued going to CPAC and it wasn't even mentioned. And yet that is a threat, just as China is a threat, just like many other issues are a threat. Um, and I wanted just to finish on kind of your thoughts on that and why it is not part of the mainstream discussion. Well, you know, it, it, it's not part of the mainstream discussion here in America and, and for, for a very good reason. I mean, think about it. ISIS was on the front pages for, you know, years and years and years. I mean, American citizens being he beheaded on video, uh, the, you know, Yazidi Christian uh, hostage taking, Jordanian fighter pilots being burnt alive in cages. The, you know, people forget uh, ISIS was a thing. This was the biggest uh, jihadi insurgency in history. I mean, they they controlled multiple countries in the Middle East. And when we came in, we said, no. President Trump said, unleash Special Operations Command, unleash Fort Bragg, unleash Delta, and get the stinking lawyers out of the way. I mean, like Shakespeare said, you know, kill the lawyers first. We got the lawyers out of the way, and what happened? We have been told by Obama that ISIS is a generational issue. You're just going to have to suck it up and live with it. He actually said a generational issue. President Trump said, no, kill them all. Within five months of us coming into the administration, the caliphate, the caliphate of ISIS had ceased to be. People forget that. I mean, who talks about ISIS now? Nobody, because we, we let our boys give them all a dirt nap. That's why it's you know not on the radar screen. Does it mean it's over? No, absolutely not. Does it mean that you know um, there there won't be jihadi attacks in America because this administration is letting six thousand illegal immigrants across the border every single day? You think you got it bad with a couple of rubber dinghies in the channel? Try six thousand a day. Uh, we've had at least forty people on the terrorist watch list come across the border that we know of, that we know of. So uh, I'm not saying it won't come back. Why it's not on the radar screen? Because of the bloody good job our guys did back in 2016 and, and 2017 and 2018. Um, but no, if, if you want to understand the threat of jihad, you have to understand that the biggest lie since 9-11 is that they're not Muslims, right? That Al-Qaeda and ISIS are not Muslims. Yeah. Well. No, that's that's actually a lie. Read the Quran. Read chapter 9, verse 29. Hunt down the infidel after the holy month and kill them all unless they surrender. That's not Seb Gorka speaking. That's not Bin Laden. That's actually the word of God as, quote, unquote, dictated to the illiterate merchant, Muhammad, you know, in Medina, in Mecca, uh, 1,400 years ago. The, the idea that these are perversions of Islam, yeah, you're, you're an apologist for those who are living a very pure form of Islam because who was Muhammad? He wasn't, quote-unquote, the last prophet. Muhammad was, um, if he existed at all, he was what? He was a warrior. He is a man who went to Medina and literally wiped out a whole Jewish tribe, literally wiped out whole 
Arab polytheistic tribes to the last man jackal he killed them. That's who Muhammad was. The idea that you know it, the, the 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 it's the religion of peace. Well, then learn Arabic. Islam doesn't mean peace. It means submission. Submission to what? To the will of Allah. And what kind of God is that? It's a very different God from the Jewish God. It's a very, very different God from the Christian God. It is a God of zero relationship to the believer and a man, not a man, a deity who can be utterly capricious. If Allah says murder is good tomorrow, it's good, and he can change his mind the day after and say it's bad. He's not truth. God for Christians is the good. There's no such conceptualization of the good. You're not allowed to describe God, right? You're not allowed to talk about his essence. That is blasphemy. To say that you know God or you are in relationship with God is totally haram. It is total blasphemy in, in the Islamic faith. But, but these are the ground truths that you're not allowed to talk about. But um, you know, pe people need to read the Quran. Read the Quran, read the reliance of the traveler, uh, read the, you know, the actual Muslim texts about Muhammad, uh, and then understand why, um, why here's the last example, why there's no such thing as an Arab motor car. Not only is there no such thing as an Arab motor car, Peter, there isn't an Arab bicycle. Think about that. That, that tells you about what this deformed theology has done to knowledge, truth, and science. The best book on all of this, and it's a short read, it's about 250 pages, is my friend Robert Riley's The, the, the Closing of the Muslim Mind. It, his discussion on the deformed theology that explains why Al-Qaeda, why no Muslim bicycles, why 9-11 is mandatory. It's, it, it was one of the texts I made mandatory for the officers that I trained when I was still a professor. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, appreciate your time with us today. Thank you so much. God bless uh, all of you, uh, all of your viewers. Thank you, Peter. Keep doing what you do. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofvoke.org. Thank you for listening.